Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. Welcome on in. It is Downtown, the podcast, the 190th edition of the podcast. Rich Kimball here, along with Bruce Pratt, who's sitting in for Carrie Haskell this week. Carrie's still, of course, pulling the strings from behind the scenes like he always does. And we're brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. In our final podcast of 2021, a couple of interesting conversations with you a little bit later on. Bruce will set us up on this. We talk with five-time Olympian Abdi Abdi Rahman a little bit later on. Bruce, what a what an incredible story Abdi has, and we were so fortunate to have him on the radio show. Yes, I was so thrilled to to meet him in that way and to find out that he has a love relationship with Portland, Maine, right. of all things, which even his co-author did not know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, his his life story and his attitude says everything good about humanity to me. Absolutely. That's coming up in the second half of the podcast. Up first, our friend, a comedian and four-time Emmy Award-winning comedy writer, Josh Gondelman, these days plying his trade with Showtime's Desus and Mero. We had a chance to catch up with Josh recently, and here he is, Josh Gondelman on Downtown. Hi, Rich. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. So nice to so nice to be back. Well, it's good to have you back with us. And uh, now I wish we were doing some kind of video component because I well, I have to start by asking uh, what's the key to achieving a nine out of ten rating on Room Raider? Well done. <laughs> Thank you. It was honestly uh, it was more than I'd imagined. I think it is uh, my I have a throw pillow with kind of an embroidered uh, pug on it that I think got me a lot of points. They liked my corner setup. I think the angles of the wall and, uh, and my uh, closet do it for them. It, it was a thrill. Couldn't have been happier. Nine out of ten, I'll take it every time. But so with that throw pillow, does that mean Busy should get some of the credit? <laughs> she it does have a very throw pillow-like quality, my, my actual pug, but I didn't bring her on camera this time. I thought about it, but she's just too tough to wrangle. She's a real diva. <laughs> Uh, the last episode of the year of Desus and Mero, uh, I remember talking about you uh, right after you had made that move. And my goodness, this has turned out to be such a terrific success. It's such a unique show. What do you think uh, it is about this show that's uh, enabled it to really carve out a niche unlike anything else? I mean, you said it. It's Desus and Mero. The, it's the two hosts. They're so funny. They're so spontaneous. They have, I think, a different perspective than a lot of late-night hosts. And, and just the structure of the show is very free-flowing. They improvise a lot on set. It's like a very loose hangout atmosphere. And I think that's like a fun, it feels like late, late night. You know, like I, I think kind of our goal is to have it feel like, wow, I can't believe we just get to, we get to watch this on TV. Uh, you know, like I can't believe they're just like doing this on TV, which is very fun for them to get to be so casual and 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 outspoken and and fun and spontaneous and i love the way they incorporate guests into the show wonderful yeah we've had some real fun ones and and we've got for our last episode of the season um keanu reeves and carrie ann moss are on tomorrow and i've gotten to they've brought me on for a couple bits which is very fun it's yeah it's been a really good time i mean they're they're so funny and, and wonderful to work with uh, once again, I have a tremendous shoe envy. You posted a picture of your season finale shoes. Well, man, you get the best shoes in comedy. No, I think I 
I thank you. I mean, that is a very kind compliment, but there's some serious heat, I think, coming from some other corners. I feel like uh, Yasser Lester and, and his brother Isaiah Lester, who's who both comedy writers and, and Yasser's a stand-up as well, and an actor, um, really great shoes, really funny guys. Hassan Minaj, great shoes. <laughs> I, can't claim, I can't claim all the credit, but thank you. I, it is an honor to be recognized. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking with Josh Gondelman here on Downtown. Uh, you did a show with a terrific uh, cast of performers at Union Hall last week. How did that go? Oh, such a good time. I mean, my friend Jeff Tate, who's a tremendous stand-up, was in town. We're going to go to a basketball game tomorrow night. I just like love that people are coming back on tour through New York again, and we get to hang out and do shows together. Gary Gullman was on the show, which, you know, he's, uh, I think, my favorite working comedian. And then Emma Willman, who's great, Trey Gallian, Lindsay Balling, like a really fun lineup. Just And, and you know, I, I've been really enjoying getting to watch my friends perform since stand-up has kind of been coming back in New York City and, and on the road, too. But, like, I've mostly been staying in the city for the writing job. And so it's just such a pleasure to get to go to the clubs and the independent rooms and and just watch friends, see what their what their new stuff is like. It's like really bringing me a lot of joy lately. Well, and I, I feel like New York City could be a model for the rest of the country and, and the way to do it right and get back there into the, all the things that we miss because they're they're taking the right level of precautions. It feels really good. I think like part of why I've been a little bit less reluctant to kind of go out of my way to, to get out of town for a day is that in New York, every... Uh, venue requires a proof of vaccination and some places, you know, some places ask you the audience to wear a mask, which I think is like, I've gone to concerts that, that ask you to wear a mask. And to me, that's a small price to pay to be able to safely enjoy live entertainment again. And I say that as an audience member, not just as like, I'm a comedian, I have my mask off and you have to wear yours. <laughs> uh, I'm not stalking you on social media, I promise, but I do want to know if you've learned all the lyrics to La La Land. Oh my gosh. It is that uh, my upstairs neighbor is really making some headway learning City of Stars from La La Land on the <laughs> piano. It's only been probably 14 months that they've been working on it. And I think they're going to nail it. Soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that's got to be fun to listen to every night. I got to tell you, it is. I, I knew it better than I ever thought. And it was at first because La La Land came out in 2016, that song city of stars won best original song at the Oscars. So I haven't thought about it since 2017. Cause <laughs> it doesn't really, it's not one of my, favorites. I, it wasn't even my favorite musical that year. I prefer Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping with the Lonely Island guys and uh, Sing Street. But this song, I, I thought La La Land, the fine movie, the songs didn't really do it for me. So it, when they first started playing this upstairs from us, I was thinking, that can't be. And then it was, and then it was, and then it was, over and over and over again. I love the podcast and, and really enjoyed uh, the way you wrapped up the most recent season. Uh, wonderful collection of pep talks. Thank you. Yeah, people were really generous. I thought it was so uh, so nice of, of so many people to contribute. It was an all Pep Talks episode to, to wrap up the year. And I got, you know, um, John Hodgman and Tom Sharpling and um, Wyatt Sinak. And just like a real great assortment of people. Um, Matt Bronger, Laura Stevenson. Just like really great comedians, musicians, writers, friends. And, and I, I got to like curate and listen to them and 
and put them in sequence. I partnered in Cherla and Joe Firestone, both sent great pep talks then. And so like, it was full of great little surprises for me because I just put out a call to past guests for pep talks and they just emailed them to me. So I got to kind of sift through them and enjoy them on my own, on my own time and my leisure. And it was like a real delight. So are you taking a little hiatus from the podcast? Taking a little hiatus as the Jesus and Marrow season wraps up and the and the holidays happen, I just didn't want to stress out, you know, our production team and, and everybody during the holidays and have to bank too many episodes. So hopefully we'll be back uh, bright and early next year. But right now we're we're taking a little downtime, which is which has been relaxing. Well, I shouldn't bring this up when you're thinking about downtown, but I, I loved your book, uh, Nice Try. Is there another book in the works? It's definitely something I've been thinking of. I've been noodling with a um, with a new book proposal this year, but I'm kind of waiting to see how some things shake out. I had like a, a sitcom that I was developing with a, and and pitching with a very talented, like experienced co writer, um, co producer who I really really loved working with that didn't end up coming together. But I kind of was wary of over committing to too many things. So now I'm I'm like reevaluating, and a book is certainly something that's possible. I had a real good time writing Nice Guy, and I think it would be fun. It's a few years have passed; it would be fun to write a new one. Now I, I saw your your wife tweet about this. Uh, were you guys uh, into this third season of Succession? She okay. So my wife Maris is she is a kind of a, a Succession Twitter celebrity <laughs> because she will always post. Um, tag yourself in the new episode of succession, uh, which is people, brilliant, <laughs> very brilliant. And then people will seize on kind of these niche um, moments from, from the series. But what happened was when season one premiered, I was working Sunday night. So last week tonight. And so I skipped the first few episodes cause I was working and I said, how is it? She said, you know, I- I'm going to keep watching it, but it's taken a little while to find its footing. And then by midway through the first season, she was like, the show is incredible. And I said, I'm too far behind. <laughs> leave me, leave me here in this desert. And so she is a big fan and I keep needing to catch up, but I'm every, with every passing episode, I feel like it's the show is receding further and further on the horizon. See, and I didn't watch it the first two years and, and I just happened to, uh, it was the, the night of the premiere of season three. And I said, well, I'll watch just to see if I can jump in midstream. And I was hooked about halfway through and then went back and had to binge watch the first two seasons. But, but I'm glad I did because it's a reminder that I think I know some horrible people, but very few of them are as bad as the people on that show. You know, succession horrible. I have a, um, a friend, my friend Jamie Green, who's a who's a writer and editor, and she and I were talking about doing a limited series podcast where we where we catch up on Succession and talk about it on the podcast. Now, I, I mentioned uh, your dog, but I, I need to get more details. How is Busy doing? Busy's doing all right. She had a she's having a little trouble with a back paw, so we put her on some steroids. The, the vet put her on some steroids, and then she didn't sleep for about a month. No, <laughs> and was just hungry all the time. Because she she was having that that little pug roid rage, she did break several home run records. But it was a uh, it was a, a very awake month in the Gondelman Kreisman busy the pug household. Oh dear. Well, I hope things settle down there. I hope you get a little uh, a little rest with the hiatus and uh, things go well for you in the coming year. It's always great to catch up with you, Josh. Thank you so much for making time for us today. 
Such a pleasure. Josh Gondelman here on Downtown, the podcast. We'll pause for a quick word from our friends at Cross Insurance, and then we're back with Abdi Abdi Rama next on Downtown. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. downtown the podcast rich kimball here along with bruce pratt well i don't don't know if our next guest is running on empty anything but he's still going strong after a remarkable career Uh, we're talking about abdi abdi rahman and bruce pratt uh, for anybody who doesn't know can you give a little of abdi's remarkable backstory yes uh, he was born in somalia at the age of 12 when somalia came apart his family fled mogadishu um, and ended up in mombasa in kenya in, in a refugee camp for a number of years and almost didn't make it. They were had originally been upset about not getting on a certain boat. All the people on that boat perished. He spent a couple of years there. He ended up getting to Tucson, Arizona. Uh, went to high school, was a regular high school kid. Started running at age 19 in junior college. Never looked back. And he may be attempting to qualify for his sixth Olympic. We, we I think he that may be on his mind. Of course, he didn't tip the tip his hat or tip his hand on that one, but he's off to Ethiopia soon to train again. And a, a very interesting guy. His story chronicled in a new book he did with our friend Miles Schrag called Abdi's World. Uh, if you're not familiar with his story, you'll you want to learn more about him after this wonderful conversation with Abdi Abdi Rahman. You've got quite a story. What, what made you want to tell the world what they didn't know about you? Uh, you know, just it's something I want to share. You know, just uh, for me, growing up in Somalia, you know, coming to U.S., uh, what this country has have done for me. And also, you know, just being a five-time Olympian. And, you know, just the opportunity that I get through my career and the people who helped me through those moments in life. That's what I want to share. Well, Abdi, one of the things I found so wonderful about this book is it seems to me that the little boy who loved to run around in Mogadishu uh, is still alive as a little boy in a much older person and very successful person's body. What is it that is so enjoyable for you about distance running? Yeah, you know, I, I just love running. You know, distance running is just, uh, first and foremost, before distance running, I love running and I enjoy running. And it's something that I'm passionate about it. And also it's just the sports that I, through the years, I grew I grew to the sports and not wanted not like wanted all the fame, everything that come with it, but just for the love of the sports and also like a holding myself accountable is just because of the individual sports and my success, my failure, everything is a part of me. And that's what I love writing about it. One of the things I found fascinating in the book, and, and Miles had told me about this, you didn't really start running competitively till you were 19 years old. Now, I used to be a high school track coach, 
And by 19, most of my people knew what they were going to be doing and what they were going to be doing for running. You came to it as a competitive sport a little later. Do you think there may have been an advantage in that? Oh, definitely. 100% has been an advantage of mine uh, because of, uh, you know, because I'm a late bloomer through the sports. Uh, some of my some of my peers started running at the younger age or like, you know, middle school, elementary school, or, you know, just a local track club. For me, I missed all those parts, all those, all those foundations. I just started later age, which saved my body, you know, all the mileage that goes through, you know, at a young age. And, and, you know, just and give me like, you know, extra years, five, five, six, seven years, maybe extra 10 years because I haven't run in high school. So, yeah. You are headed to Ethiopia here next month to do some training at high altitude. Are you, do you have a specific goal in mind, or is this something that is just it's part of your life and you wouldn't be happy if you couldn't do it? Uh, you know, to be honest, it's a part of my life. You know, I love running. I and mean, even if I stop as a professional distance runner tomorrow, it's something that I will be doing the rest of my life as, as long as I can do it. And also, you know, just go to going to Ethiopia next month to train for it because there's a, you know, sometimes I like to focus, you know, I like, I don't like that much distraction, you know, when I'm home, you know, just, you have a lot of stuff to do. Sometimes you meet up with friends, you always have an obligation, Mm -hmm. but when you go to Ethiopia, that's when you have less distraction and you don't have that much obligation because you're in a foreign country at that time and you're there for one thing and one thing only and that thing is to train. Now running is such a unique sport Uh, for you personally. Were you competing against other runners, or were you competing against yourself? Uh, to be honest, some like uh, first, be, uh, you know, during the race you compete with uh, uh, against other runners, you know, to be honest. But during the training, you do not compete. You don't run against your competitors, your competition, because you are just by yourself, or you're training with your teammates or with your coach, and and that's when you build the most of foundation. And that's the competition with yourself. Sometimes you see how fast you can go. What's your long run? You know, sometimes as a runners, like we we usually we like uh, we run in the same loop sometimes, and you always try to compare that loop how fast you run, how better you are, are you getting better or you slowing down, and that's how you measure your training. And by the time you get to the race, you know what you're capable of. Now, in the last several years here in Maine, many people have arrived here from Somalia. In fact, we have just seen the city of South Portland elect a Somali woman as mayor. Now, I think it would be really great if we had a race here that you could be in to, that would that it would be able to help inspire those people as much as you've been inspired. Any chance we can get you to race in Maine? It's cold here. Oh, my God. I love, I love, you know, to be honest, like, funny thing is, like, uh, you know, Portland, Maine is one of my favorite cities in the U.S., to be honest. And I don't know if you knew this before, but I've been to Maine, Portland, Maine, Many times I have a lot of friends who live there. I've been to Palmer Maid, you know, just I've been to Cape Cod, you know, and I have also, and I'm a good friend with Joey Bernard. She's a yes. great friend. She's a mentor. She's someone that I look up to and someone that I appreciate what she have done for the sport. And although I found out recently that a lot of us Somali immigrants have immigrated to Portland, Maine, which become a big part of the community. And, you know, what that would be my honor if I, Come, if I ever come back to Portland, I would love to do a race there. I don't know how soon that will be. It can be this year, next year. So, you know, just if something is 
is I even told people, like, I want to move to Portland. I say, I want to live there sometimes. And they say, do you know how cold it gets there? Because <laughs> when I go there, it's during the summertime. Yeah. They say, you see the beautiful thing. Have you ever been here in the wintertime? And I said, no. They say, why don't you come visit there in the wintertime before you say that? <laughs> <laughs> now, when, when you, you've, you've been in five Olympics, you tried to qualify for six. When you didn't make it um, because of injuries and other things, what did you say to yourself then that can, made you say, I'm going to keep going and, and eventually qualify two more times? Uh, you know, to be honest, uh, uh, 2016, I remember three weeks after the Olympic trials, I got injured, I had a calf problem, you know, just, and, and it's not like I didn't make it. It was the injury prevents me to continue at the trials. I right. didn't even make it to the starting lineup, you know, so, um, and I knew how good of a shape I was, and I knew what I was capable of. You know, I'm not taken away from anything those athletes who make at the Olympics in 2016. But I thought if I would have run that day, I would have made the Olympic team just because of my fitness and what I was doing. And you know, and I was, and I always like, as I say, you compare yourself to the the workout that you do, and that's I think hard to be. I've done that year, some of the best work that I have done. And I remember coming back the same year, running the New York City Marathon and finishing world major at the podium. And that just gave me the confidence that I say, hey, you could have made that team. So why should I stop running now if I'm still enjoying and I'm still good at it? And that just gave me the, give me the, you know, the motivation that to keep continuing to shoot for the 2020. You have also had a remarkably long relationship with one coach. Um, and, and while I know that's, that's, that's not unique in the world of running, it's uncommon to have someone to be work with for so many, so many years. Could you talk about him a little bit? Yeah, you know, Coach Murray, to be honest, like I've been working with Coach Murray since I was, I think, 18 years old. Um, since I was, out, you know, first year at the U of A. And, and that was like a 1998. Uh, until now and at the end of the day there's a point where things were not going well I was struggling with injury you know I was not running well and but all those things the thing that I wait outweighed those things because I have so much success under him except a few times where things were not going well but for me I always look back and I say you know what how many good races how many great things you have done under this coach and I look back, and there were so many, and I outweighed all the batteries. So that's the one thing. And I say, you know what? And, and one thing for me, I wasn't looking. I was I was in it for the long run. I wasn't in it for the short short run or looking for a quick fix. What can I get out of it today? For me, you know what? I was enjoying it, and I was in it for the long run. And, and Coach Murray took me there. One of the things I knew when I coached track, and I was I was a, a sprinter and a hurdler. And I have, was lucky to have very good distance coaches. What I noticed was when, the, when my kids, whether it was the girls or the boys, were going out for a long run on a long work day, that there was this attitude of, of real happiness that they were all going together, that there was something about training together that, that made a big difference. And I, I've got to say that sprinters, on the other hand, don't like to socialize when they're practicing because they all think they're the best and they're going to, do it all on their own. Is there something about running in a group that that elevates that? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, like I think like a cross country as a distance runner is a 
it's not like I wouldn't say it's a team sport, but uh, that's the as the closest as you can get as a team sport, like a football, like like a football, soccer, basketball, baseball, and also like you know when you have a high school cross country team or high school, you know, just like they all like them distance team. They might run different events, all of them, but they always train together as a group, and, and that's and when we, and, and that's and that's exactly the same as I was, you know, training for the marathon. You know, I wasn't training with, I was, I was not training by myself. I was training with a group of guys who were doing the same thing I was doing, and we always enjoy running with each other. You know, twenty plus miles, it but it makes that much easier than running by yourself. You know, just like a. It's a lonely road when you're running like a two out two plus hours. <laughs> but when you're running with a group of guys who have the same goals or shooting the same same goals as you're shooting for, it makes it that much easier. So yeah. One well, one of the other things I found fascinating in, in in this book was that for the longest time you didn't return to Africa to train, but when you did, you seemed to find. Uh, and I may have read this a little wrong, but it seemed to me that you you. you we're able to even focus in a sharper way. Is is, is that a, is that a fair assessment? That's definitely a fair assessment. You know, when I was in the U.S., you know, just so we have everything that you could ever want in life. To be honest, we have the cars, we have the nice, like you know, it's a great lifestyle we have in the U.S. You know, but and only the people who who can say that is the people who lived here and traveled to the to the to Africa and trained there and see what those how what those guys go through daily basis and like they don't have access to all the things that we have access to. Like for me, when I went back to Ethiopia in 2015, mm-hmm. it just appreciated more what I have and also make me extra more, make me work harder and also make me more focused and find out what I wanted, you know, just, and also like less destruction when I'm there. I don't have the cars, you know, I don't have everything that I wanted. Just only, only one thing that I I was there for was just to run, not to hang out with friends or to do anything. Even though I have a lot of friends there, we all wanted the same thing. So just we'll go run, come back to our rental house, just make dinner, rest, maybe walk around a little bit, and do the same thing again in the afternoon. And and that you, we can do that in the U.S., but sometimes you get a little distraction here and there. We're talking with Abdi Abdi Rahman here on Downtown. I'm curious, Abdi, if you wouldn't mind sharing, as someone who chose to live here in America, those of us who were born here sometimes forget, what made you want to be an American, and, and what is it that you love about this country? Uh, you know, to be honest, I first and foremost, you know, America is that, and I can say this, in like you know clean heart and known everything so just and i say america is one of the great country that the earth to be honest because of and i say that because i have traveled all over the world because of the freedom that we have and the thing that we are capable of doing it and just like and also you know just like there's no any other country that equals the u.s and i you know just but for me just no one no one will ever tell me you cannot do anything, just everything that I want to do, as long as I work hard and I want to put 100% effort, that's something I'm capable of doing. It just, and that's what makes this country great. You have trained in different locations in the U.S., Flagstaff, up in uh, near Tahoe, uh, Tucson. You, you still call Tucson home, and um, I find that really uh, laudable, I, that, that you, it's where you came you didn't leave for some sexy, fancy place. You stayed where you 
you you put down roots when you came here. You were 12, as I remember, when you came here. Do you find that 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 you have a running community there that that you've helped sustain? Uh, you know, just every I to be honest, I'm first and foremost, you know, I came to Tucson 1990s, and I'm still here. Just I, from a few months here and there, uh, just uh, Tucson always been home. To be honest, even if I'm like uh, Arizona, I would say been home for me. And if I'm away, if I'm away from Arizona, like for a month or two, I'm kind of already miss it. And and the running community in Tucson have been so supportive of me, and just you know, just um. I didn't have like a chance to interact with them the past few years because of my competition schedule and my travel itinerary. But I'm looking forward to working with them and being a part of the community as a as you know community runner. Like actually, I'm doing this weekend, you know, community event in Tucson on tomorrow, actually Thursday the 16th. So you know, we, I'm just something that I always want to do, but it's just I'm starting now to be a part of the running community in Tucson. So as you look forward into the next couple of years, what is yeah, is your plan? Yeah. Your show, I mean, I know you're a long-term guy, long, long-distance, long-term guy. But over the next couple of years, what are you sort of hoping to be doing? Uh, next, well, you know, just to be honest, I'm hoping I'm I'm going to be a great role model, great role model to the you know my community, especially the young, the young, the young boy and girls who are coming up who want to become a distance runner. I want to be a great mentor, and also I want to do. I want to give back my, you know, my community, my 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 country back home in Somalia. You know, just I have because now I have the platform and the platform to help them. And I'm because I'm starting my nonprofit organization, which is like a right to have hope foundation. Because we all have someone who help us through our journey, whatever we're doing in life. Someone who mentor us, someone who tell us what to do. For my example, as my book say, Coach Murray was like, you know, someone who gave me hope and foundation. So that's why that's why I call them my foundation right to have hope because everybody right to have hope. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. You you have to have the you have the right to have a dream and that's if if I can make one or two kids their dream come through, that would be just great for me. Well, Abdi, it, this has been a great pleasure for me and, and you're someone I've admired for a very, very long time. I thank you and Miles for doing this book and I hope that we'll be able to talk to you again sometime in the future. All right. Well, thank you for having me again. That is Abdi Abdi Rama, the five-time Olympian. The book is called Abdi's World. What a what a neat perspective he's got on things. He sure does. You know, everybody should should have the positivity, uh, and everybody that's had a little setback ought to think what it's like to have a real big setback and just keep coming. Yeah, yeah he's a special guy. Now we need to get him to Portland and do that race you talked about. Oh yeah, well yeah yeah. And Miles Miles was is thinking about ways we might get him to a race in Portland. Maybe even get him to the um, to uh, there's a race in Bucksport that would be right up his alley. Maybe we can get him even closer. That'd be great. Uh, Abdi Abdi Rahman here on Downtown the Podcast. Our thanks to Abdi, the wonderful Josh Gondelman, Bruce. Thanks to you for sitting in a place of carry here. We'll uh, we'll do it again very soon. Downtown brought to you by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. We'll see you next time in the new year right here on Downtown.